Colossians 1, 24 to 2, 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Thank you for those stories. Oh, where are they? They're gone. Mom and Dad. Oh, there they are. You moved there. Okay, yeah. Thanks for those stories. So good to hear. So exciting. And um, I think actually that it relates to our passage as we'll see in a bit. So I love how these things come together sometimes. But um, we've been going through Colossians this fall, as many of you know. And um, today we come to a passage which is one of those, I'd say, fairly rare times where Paul gives us a, a window into his own life and ministry. And so I'm going to say something that I said a couple weeks ago, just to let you know right ahead of time. Um, there is, you're not being asked to do anything in this passage. There's not a single command in this passage. In fact, this passage is not about your life. This passage is about Paul's life, about what he calls his commission. Look at verse 25. I have become the church's servant by the commission that God gave me. Right? And this is the first century, and Christ had recently died and was raised, and the gospel was going out into the Mediterranean to places like Turkey, right? And God gave Paul a specific commission to be an apostle and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It was a unique time in history. It was a unique commission, and Paul was a very unique man, right? So we're going to look at his life in ministry. But what I'd like to suggest today is that I think he shares about his life in a way that is intended to be an example for us. The way he opens up what's going on in his heart and mind and how he goes about things, I think is meant to encourage us, or to use another language of, of Scripture, to spur us on towards whatever we've been called to do. And so before we look at Paul and how he describes his life, I want you just to, to step back for a minute and consider your own life at, in this season of your life and ask yourself, what is my commission these days? 
Okay, and if that word commission doesn't resonate, like what, what, is, what is the ministry that God has given to me? What is the uh, ministry field, the mission field? What is the set of responsibilities that have been placed under my care? And I want you to think about what is that right now, okay? And let me just give you two foundational passages in Scripture. Think of Genesis 1.28. We know this, this is called the creation mandate that God gave to humanity in the beginning, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, go and rule, okay? And we were to go out into all the globe and bring God's justice and his love and his mercy to, the, to his creation. We we're to be his representatives, right, his image bearers, and to bring his representation into the world. So the question I have for you today is, what little plot of the world have you been entrusted with, Okay? It might be your family. Uh, it might be something, uh, a work-related, you know, plot of creation. Uh, it might be where you live, your neighborhood. Uh, it might be a set of friends. But think about, you know, there's a big world, but I've been entrusted with this little segment of God's world, and he's invited me to go and bring his goodness and love and wisdom and courage and justice, all that, into, into what I've been given. Okay? That's your commission, okay? the creation mandate. The other passage I would, I would look at is, of course, what we know as the Great Commission, right? This is Jesus at the end of his ministry to the 12. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? Go out and make disciples. This is the commission of the church today, and each one of us has our own little part to play in this Great Commission, Amen, right? So I want you to be thinking right now, in this season of your life, what is the commission that God has given me? What is my small part to play? Who are the people? What are the circumstances? What are the responsibilities that I've been entrusted with that God is calling and inviting me into, okay? And there might be something really specific. You, you might, there might be something going on in your life, like right now, that feels like, oh, this is the thing that I'm responsible for right now to do this faithfully, okay? So you might be thinking, you might be certain people in your mind. There might be certain places like your work or your, you know, your neighborhood. There might be circumstances. But I want you to be thinking about that uh, as we look at Paul. So I just want your own life right now to be kind of running this through. What's, what am I being called to right now, okay? So like I said, there's no commands here, <laughs> but I think there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a call and a commission for each one of us. So let's look at Paul, all right? Let's look at Paul, and what I want to do today is just look at, I want to look at what was his commission, what specifically was he going after, and then how did he go after it, okay? And he, he shares all that with us here. So um, let's look at what was his commission. In like, in like three different ways, he, he tells us, this is what I'm all about in the world. And, and there are kind of three different ways of saying the same basic thing, okay? So let me show you. First look at verse uh, 24, um, Oh, no, verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me, here is the commission, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay? So, Paul's commission, first one. He is to present the word of God in its fullness. And the essence of that word is this, Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. I want to help people understand this reality that through faith, Jesus Christ is in you. And he calls this a mystery. Three times in this passage, he uses the word mystery. And what you need to know about that word is the way Paul uses that word is not the way we use it, right? When we say mystery, we think of something that's just impossible to understand, right? Like this and this, how does this, happen? I don't know, it's just a mystery. That's not how Paul uses that word. Paul uses that word. A mystery is something that previously was unknown in, in, in history, that God had kind of kept secret. But now in Jesus, it has been revealed, it has been made known, but it's an utter surprise. It's kind of a, a, a twist, a plot twist that no one would have expected. And here's the mystery. In the Old Covenant, everyone expected God to send his Messiah, but here was the expectation. Messiah would come, uh, and he was going to defeat Israel's enemies, which in that time was what? Who? The Romans, right? He's going to defeat Israel's enemies, and he was going to rule from a throne in Jerusalem and usher in a time of peace for Israel. Okay, that was the expectation. The mystery was this. Messiah did indeed come, but what he did is he actually suffered and died he was executed as a common criminal, and he, he died for the sins of the world, not just for Israel. And then he was raised, and he, was, he returned to heaven, and now he rules not on a throne in Jerusalem, but in the hearts of his people, okay? Nobody saw that coming. It was a mystery. It was a, it was a surprising plot twist. And Paul's saying, I've been given a commission to make this mystery known to you all, which is this, Messiah not on a throne in Jerusalem, not just in a throne in heaven, Messiah in you, which is radical. I want people to understand this in its fullness, Paul is saying. Jesus dwells in you through faith. The same guy who calmed the storm, the same guy who cast out demons, right? The same guy who healed the sick, the same guy who cleansed the temple, the same guy who raised people from the dead and was raised from the dead. That same powerful Messiah is in you by faith. You have a personal presence dwelling inside of you. This is not just some intellectual set of ideas. Messiah is in you. And Paul said, I want you to, I want people to know that. I want them to experience that. And he calls it the hope of glory. What is your confidence that you have eternal life? What is your confidence that things don't end in this world? Paul's saying, this personal Jesus dwelling in you is your confident expectation that one day you will be glorious. You will dwell in glory for eternity. Right now, you look a little broken and you look a little messy. Things are a little dysfunctional and, and sinful and, and all the stuff, right? All the stuff. But we have Jesus dwelling in us, and that is our hope of glory. And Paul says, I want people to know that, okay? That's my commission, and I want you to know that. <laughs> That's my commission. That's our commission to others, too, right? We want them to know that. You can put your faith in Jesus, experience this reality. So that's the first way he says it. Uh, look at the second way he says it in verse 28, okay? Look at 28 with me. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that, here's the second way, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Let me put that up there. This is the commission, to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Those two words, fully mature, translate a Greek word, which is the Greek word telos, 
Okay? Many of us are familiar with that word. The telos is the, the goal or the, the end for which something was created. The telos of an acorn is a oak tree, right? And Paul's saying, I want to present people on that, on that day when Christ returns. I want to work in their lives so they can present them as, as fully formed in Christ. Not as these sort of half-baked, superficial, um, you know, I, I kind of I get, get Jesus and I'm going to move on. No, but I want people to have this faith that, that goes deep and that is robust and that they become more and more mature, that they become more and more like Jesus. They get to know him more and more. They begin to love like he does. They begin to have courage like he does. They begin to glorify God the way he does. Right? My goal is not to make, well, the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world and make converts. Right? He says, no, no, go into all the world and make what? disciples, baptize them in the reality of the triune God, and then teach them everything I've commanded you, right? You are to make disciples, not converts, not people who just, right, on a, on a national survey, check the box of Christian, right? No, no, Paul's like, I want, I want you to go deep and rich, and, and, um, and I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen, Right? I, look at what he says. Uh, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Right? I, I proclaim, I teach, I warn. I do, I do all these things to try to help people grow up into Jesus. And hopefully this is what we are doing for one another. Right? This is what we are doing for our children and our grandchildren. This is what we hope to do with our friends, um, with people we work with. We're hoping to be this ambassador of Jesus so that they might come to know Jesus and grow into this deep, rich experience of him, right? To present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then the third way he says it, he's basically saying the same thing in like three different ways, in case you haven't picked up on that yet. Um, so look at the third one. Look at, um, look at in chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. My goal, again, here's the commission, here's the goal. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and mind, or in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I'd say this is the other way he says it. I want people to know Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. And what I noticed this week as I read this is how much language there is of, of like treasures and fullness. Okay, let me just give you a couple. Verse 25, I want to give the word of God in its fullness. Verse 27, the glorious riches of this mystery. Verse 28, to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Verse 2, the full riches of complete understanding. And then verse 3, the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge, okay? And this is really, I'm, I'm suggesting, this is the theme of Colossians, is fullness in Christ, okay? That's, that's what the essence of this book is about. Paul's saying, I don't just want people to know Jesus. I want them to know him in his fullness. I want them to have an experience of him and a knowledge and a relationship with him that is full and rich and deep. I want Jesus to fill their souls so much that they get up every day with a sense of the Lord is my shepherd, what? I don't, well, I don't lack anything. I am filled up with the Lord who's my shepherd. 
That's Paul's heart for people. I don't want to, I don't want to, a trickle of Jesus. I want an overflow of Jesus in your life so that you're filled up. Because Paul knows when we're full, when we're diving deep into Jesus, we will not be tempted to search for other things to fill our hungry souls. And that, that's what Colossians is, is a lot about. Like, look at verse 4, right? I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Or look at verse 8, a little later in the chapter. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But when we're not filled up with Jesus, then we become, um, what's the word? Susceptible, that's the word, thank you. We become susceptible, right? My soul is thirsty, and I start going to these other places to try to fill the emptiness of my soul. And Paul's like, I want you guys to be full in Jesus so that you, you stay rooted in him and you're not blown and tossed by every new teaching or thought or thing that you think, maybe this will be the thing. So it's this experience of fullness. All right, so that's Paul's commission, right? I want people to know Jesus in his fullness, and he's going after that. And before I kind of ask us some questions about our own lives, I just want to think, okay, so that's, that's his aim. His, his life is dedicated to that. And I want you to see now, that's what he's going after. I want you to see how he goes after it, okay? What's his posture? What's, his, um, what's the way in which he goes about that? And we can ask ourselves, how am I going about my own commission? So how does he go about this commission? Uh, two things that I noticed. Um, the first is he, he goes after it with everything he's got, <laughs> simply put. Um, look, at, uh, look at verse 29. To this end right, to that end we just said, I strenuously contend, <laughs> okay? And your translation might have something different there. There's two words there. The first one means toil, work, labor, okay? I toil, I work, I labor to this end. The second word is the Greek word agonizo, where we get our English agonize, okay? And in the first century, it's, it's an athletic word. It's what, what athletes do when they're competing. When you're racing, you are, you are agonizing towards, towards the finish line, right? So he's saying, this is a calling. This is a commission that I give all my energy towards. This is something I do in season, out, out of season, right? When I feel like it, when I don't, I am giving this everything I've got, okay? And I want you just to think about how does, how does Paul contend for the gospel, Okay? Obviously, he, he preaches, right? He, he travels, um, he preaches, he teaches. But it's really interesting. If you look at um, chapter 2, verse 1, look what he says here. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. How do you contend for someone you've never met? Any thoughts? Well, I think I heard prayer, right? And, and yeah, prayer and letters, Right? So he, this letter, this very thoughtful letter, which is written in jail, by the way, is one of the ways he's contending for a group of people he's never met. And prayer is another way that he's contending. And so often you, you read Paul's letters and he'll start, I, I, I always mention you in my prayers. Right? Every time I think of you, I mention you in my prayers. Here's a guy who was constantly praying even for people he didn't know. And for me, just thinking about that specific example of prayer was really encouraging to me this week. And, and I think for us, like to think about prayer as contention, as, as work 
for God's kingdom. I think especially some of us um, are in our, in our later years, shall I say, where we're not as much on the front lines of like um, daily, we're not in the marketplace, place, or you know, we have more time and less energy than we used to have, right? Um, trying to say this the right way here. How am I doing so far? Um, but you kind of feel like, gosh, I kind of feel like I'm out of the game a little bit. I mean, that, right? This is what happens as we, um, as we age. And I was so encouraged by that notion of like, Paul sees prayer as one of his greatest acts of spiritual warfare, where he's contending for the gospel. And as our responsibilities maybe slow down, but our time increases, prayer is this beautiful way that we can contend uh, for those we love. Uh, and we can contend for the gospel on our streets and in other people's lives and all of that. So I love seeing him uh, contend. So with all that to say, he goes after this with everything he's got. Paul worked harder than anybody. Um, but I love how he thinks of his striving. Look at verse 29 one more time. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend, and here's the phrase that really hit me this week, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Right? He just said Christ in you, right? And he knows Christ is in him. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I do a lot of striving. I do a lot of toiling and working, but I do not strive for Jesus. I do not work for Jesus. I strive with Jesus. I work with him. I work with the energy that he produces in me to do the thing that he's called me to do. And that distinction, I don't know if that sounds like subtle or significant, but that's a very significant distinction. And I think some of us, especially we've been in the church for a long time, we can get caught up in like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to live well for Jesus, right? I'm trying to work for Jesus and be a good ambassador for Jesus. I want to strive for God. And I think God doesn't need any of our striving, it turns out. He doesn't need any of it. Um, but he's longing to partner with us. And he's saying, I want you to strive and contend with me. We do this together, and I, this is what I do in you. And so somehow this work and this striving is a dependent, a cooperative striving. But that really changes the way it feels. And I say that especially if some of you are like, you're just in a season of burden. Like what, what you have on your plates is exhausting, and, and it, there's, there's no end in sight. We've talked about that recently. But some of you are carrying responsibilities that are just plain hard and they're not going to go away in the next couple of weeks. And so this really encourages me, and I hope it encourages you. It's like, you are not working for Jesus. You, get to, you do this work with him. He is in you, with you, and he will always provide, right, what, what it is we need to faithfully fulfill what he's asking us to do. And so there can be a joy and a freedom in the striving. It's not a, a, a yoke that is oppressive, um, but we are yoked to Jesus is the image that Jesus gives, right? Take my yoke on you. We're, we're fellow yoked people. I'm not very yoked, but, you know, I'm yoked to Jesus. So there's that. Not in the notes. Okay, um, shorting. Um, so I love this. Um, he's striving. And the, and the last thing I want to point out, he's not just striving, but something even more significant than that. How does he go about this commission? He goes about it through suffering. Right? Look at verse 24, first verse of the passage. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering from you, suffering for you. Right? So Paul is writing this letter from jail, like some of those Iranian Christians. He's writing from jail. And um, he had a cause that he thought was worth suffering for. 
And Paul suffered a lot in his life. Jesus told him right up front, you're going to suffer a lot for me. And he did. And I was thinking of this passage in 2 Corinthians just to kind of remind you of some of the things that Paul suffered in his commission that that Jesus gave him. So if you think you have it bad, uh, take a look at this. Um, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, right, minus one. 40 lashes was said to kill a person, so you give them 39 lashes. It's the, the most severe penalty. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. Um, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's a lot of suffering. But he saw something that was worthy of suffering for. And I want to, let me read the second half of verse 24. Fascinating phrase here. Um, I rejoice in what I suffer, I was suffering for you. Listen to this phrase. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Okay, so um, what does that mean, right? And I read that, I'm like, <laughs> wait a second, Paul. I, I, I thought there was nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, right? My theology is that, that um, Jesus' suffering was sufficient. He dies, and one of his last words are, it's finished, right? It's fully paid. There's, there's nothing more to add to the sufferings of Christ. So what is Paul saying? Now, I'm, there's something lacking in Christ's sufferings. And here's what I think Paul means. And uh, you can call me a heretic afterwards. You think I got this wrong. But I think this is what he's saying. He's saying, um, yes, Jesus' suffering is, of course, sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. But what is still lacking is there are all these people who weren't there at the cross, They didn't see the crucifixion. So sometimes the crucifixion can remain a fairly abstract and purely intellectual idea, right? Um, But there's something beautiful about having a tangible embodiment of Christ's suffering in an actual living believer who brings us the gospel or is a representative of Jesus. And in them, we actually see a living example of the sufferings of Jesus. And I think Paul is saying, I am that embodiment. I am that living example to people who never saw Jesus, never saw his crucifixion, but they've seen me. Okay? And if we had met Paul, imagine like having Paul over for dinner, right? And you, um, you go out to the backyard, and you're going to go for a swim, and he takes his shirt off, right? And he's got all these marks on his back, right? Physical signs of his suffering. His knees, I'm sure, are probably callous because he's on his knees all the time praying. Sometimes you'd see him, he probably has, you know, bags under his eyes because he hasn't slept for a couple days. He's, he's like a living, walking example <laughs> in the flesh of the sufferings of Jesus. What he calls, in other places, the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus, right? Let me read to you, um, this is a, a, a quote from John Piper that was super helpful for me. Here's how he says it. There are people all over the world who have never seen the afflictions of Jesus. And Paul says, I'm going to fill up that lack, not by adding anything to their merit, but by making a presentation of them to others in my own suffering. My suffering will become the visible reenactment of the suffering of Christ for others, so that when they see me suffering to reach them, to touch them, to love them, they will have a visual enactment of Christ's love for them. 
Then he goes on to say this. God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced. So when we offer the Christ of the cross to people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. Okay, and I think I can say that what was so powerful to the four of you when you went to Turkey is they saw the sufferings of Jesus present in modern-day Iranian Christians. A a physical manifestation, right? A a living example of the sufferings of Jesus. And Paul's saying, that's what I'm trying to do. And so he says, he begins the passage by saying, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Okay, this is painful, it's hard, but it brings me joy because I am sharing in the fellowships of Jesus' suffering. I'm getting to know Jesus better. And I get to represent him in this. What, what better privilege than that in successes, but also uh, in sufferings. All right, so that is this, just a little window into Paul's own commission and the way he went about that with everything he's got and even embracing suffering, but finding joy in that because he's doing it for the sake of Jesus. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd just like to take a couple minutes and give you an opportunity just to kind of take all that in and process that um, through your own life, okay? And here's what I'm, I'm actually going to invite you to close your eyes. Um, that would be helpful for me. You don't have to, obviously, but um, I'd invite you to close your eyes. And I want, again, to, to have you, I'm going to ask you that question I asked at the beginning. What, what is your current commission? What is your mission field? Or what is the ministry? What is the responsibilities God has given you? What's that little plot of this earth that you've been entrusted with? What part of God's grand story are you being asked to play? Again, you might think it might be your family. It might be a work environment. It might be a friendship or a set of friends or a a, a people groups even. It might be your neighborhood or some very specific situation you're in right now. But I want you to identify something concrete. And just bring that before the Lord kind of open-handedly, Lord, what do you want from me in this? And here's the two questions I would ask you. Where is God calling you to contend and to work and to toil in order to be faithful in that? And you might be in a season where you're tired, or you might be in a season where you're you're selfish and you you don't want to do it, or you're you're afraid to step in. Where would he say, I want you to step in to this with everything you've got? Um, And the reality is almost nothing worth doing that's really worth doing is easy. (laughs) Things worth doing are hard. And so where might God be saying, I want you to to re-up in this commission I've given you. Give it all that you've got. Give your full energies to this. And in that, I think maybe if you're tired, if you're discouraged, where might also the invitation be, hey, I'm not asking you to work for me. <laughs> I'm not asking you to toil and strive for me. I want you to actually work with me. You're not doing this on your own to gain my approval. I, I want to do this with you. I will come alongside you. I will equip you. You can depend on me. And so you can stop that striving in your own power. Jump into this, but trust that I'm your companion in this. Where do you need to hear that? 
And then finally, and this is maybe a related question, where is he calling you to suffer for the sake of this ministry? Where is he asking you to suffer something? And we have a flair for the dramatic, right? We think of like, gosh, am I, am I called to stand up and lose my job or, um, you know, something big? But let me, let me suggest you start with the most simple and mundane forms of suffering. God, what are you, what are you, what are you calling me to suffer for the sake of this, this commission? Sometimes it's as simple as being in a marriage and, and uh, suffering the loss of getting your point across <laughs> to your spouse so that you can listen to them instead. Or it might mean suffering the potential loss of your reputation on your street in order to engage a neighbor in a thoughtful spiritual conversation. It might mean suffering the loss of some freedom or some comfort or some safety or some money. It might be very small or mundane things. But where would God say, I want you to embrace a little suffering here. And again, that is not a suffering just for Jesus. But we suffer with him. We find Jesus in our sufferings. He's there. We find the fellowship of his suffering. So where is God saying, lean in? Father, we offer our lives to you this morning. We offer this church, our individual lives, and corporately, Lord. Um, you've given each one of us a part in your story, this great commission. And so we just, we offer to you and say, Lord, we're yours. And we want to surrender our own stories, our own comforts, and we want to step into whatever it is you're calling us to, to step into. So we release control again. Uh, we want to surrender and say, we're yours, Lord. So just use us however you want, for your glory, not for ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.